0: I kind of operate in kind of the same method where it starts musically for me first and then I'll I'll find a, a melody so... The bass line, I'll have that, and then I will start to kind of almost improvise over it, recording and try and sing things that work. And then, so initially, it's just trying to find something that I think is musically interesting or inspires me to keep working on it. So the melody comes first, and then when I start to try and thinking about what I want specifically to say lyrically, it's early COVID, so that's really right in the forefront of everything that I'm thinking about. The feeling's not the same Is everything swimming inside my skeleton okay? The song is kind of a combination of two different ideas. I decided that the first half of this one idea could stick with the second half of this other idea, a click track drum take, and then actually sticking them together and listening to it. It was in early March, uh, the beginning of the COVID sessions, because I think you can kind of tell it's lyrically that's kind of all over this, because it's kind of hard to get away from, you know, your environment. When you're trying to write a song, you're kind of a product of your environment. So it's whatever happened that day or who's in your forethought that day. So a lot of it is COVID related.
1: It's March of 2020, and Brendan Bayliss has just been sent home from touring along with the rest of the world. Grappling with the implications of the COVID-19 pandemic, he sits down to try and work through the chaos outside.
0: My name is Brendan Bayliss. I sing and play guitar for Umphreys McGee. I am the diva.
1: At the time, Humphreys McGee had just wrapped their winter tour and were looking ahead to Reykjavik, a three-night residency in Reykjavik, Iceland, at the end of March 2020. With live music shuttered for the foreseeable future, the trip was cancelled and all future tour dates were in jeopardy. Like much of the world, Bayliss took a step back, figuring out how to process and deal with the dramatic transition thrust upon him. The one thing he still had was his songwriting. Isolated from his bandmates and best friends, he turned to old song fragments, decades-old inside jokes, and his own interpretation of the events unfolding around him. This started the process of crafting the songs that would eventually fill out Humphrey's 14th studio album. Hidden from the stage and their fan base until now, the record, meticulously built up in the studio, showcases evolution, risk-taking, and a shared partnership built over a quarter century as a band. Welcome to Talking Circles, a podcast about Umphreys McGee's next album, Asking for a Friend. Over the next few months, we'll dive deep into the creative process behind each of the tracks on Asking for a Friend— with members of Umphreys McGee. Examining the inspirations behind the songs, the collaboration the band utilized to build out the songs, and the transitions they're undergoing as they move them from the studio to the stage, Talking Circles will highlight a band in creative transition amidst the challenges of our time. In episode one, we're focused on the first single off the record, I Don't Know What I Want. A deeply personal song, written in late March 2020, this song sees Bayliss communicating new terrors of the day, as well as the antidotes he sought for comfort during this period. As with many future Umphreys McGee songs, this song began in isolation. However, I Don't Know What I Want, like their larger catalog, would never be fully realized until his bandmates had the opportunity to hear it and add their
2: own flavor to it. I mean, you know, the first thing is uh Scale of 1 to 10 is this one of his uh better songs that he sent anyone. <laughs> That's Brendan's bandmate, Joel Cummins. You know, and of course there're plenty of good ones. So, I mean, there are definitely a few things that I'm I'm listening for, but one of them is just like does this melody stick with me? And is there something already there? Because a lot of the times it'll be demos that aren't totally fleshed out yet. Yeah, I'm listening for that. I think the other thing that we're always kind of conscious of is, you know, we have a lot of different Legos from different pieces of music that we've written over the years or even just different riffs laying around. And so we're also thinking about, you know, is there something that this song needs that we already have that we could, you know, put in here with it to include it? It's Joel Cummins from Humphreys McGee. I play the keys and I sing.
0: The last week of March and the whole world was kind of locked into staring at screens and trying to figure out what's going to happen. That moment that kind of, it clicked. It was just you know going through notebooks and hard drives and just, see, okay, I'm home. I got to get some work done. Let's see what I have to work with. And if I can maybe cheat my way into using some old stuff and not have to do as much work... first half of the song, the demo of it was very slow. So the bass line was like... And that was kind of a function of coming up with the idea to this gar- this loop. It wasn't a GarageBand loop. it was a, It's like a $10 app called HD Drum Loops. But anything that you use is in increments of 10. So it's got to be 190, 120, 130... And at the time, I remember thinking that um, it was too slow, but I, I couldn't get a, I couldn't get it at 92 or 93 or 94. So in a way, it's just you kind of compartmentalize that idea and then think about it uh, if you can change the key or the tempo to make it stick with something else, which is what I did.
1: With the melody established and no hope of playing live for the foreseeable future, Brendan went about communicating his immediate reactions to COVID and the challenges he was finding in dealing with the new world we are all thrust into. In addition, he began digging back in time to past work for inspiration. Isolation and friendship were top of mind for Brendan as he began putting the song together. In addition, the fears and worries about his own health and the health of his friends began creeping in. Jeff Austin, his friend and bandmate, had passed away the previous June. And with nothing but time, Bayliss found himself thinking often of his friend.
0: Part of the idea of um, the second half of the song was something that I had written maybe 2018. Just the, the minor progression, the B minor to the F sharp major. And it was uh, something that I thought I was going to use in a song for a project I had with Jeff Austin, uh, 30 dB. I don't- Talk it over. Couldn't it happen to somebody else? Maybe I'm only thinking over. I don't want to talk about it. So when I found that old idea, he's in my head. So I'm kinda of thinking about him and I'm thinking about Covid, so it's weird because lyrically it's a it's kind of more about a it's not about a specific thing. It's more about a a general uh, emotion, I guess. Part of part of the lyrics I'm thinking about um, is how we're all in this isolation and we're all kind of medicating, self medicating, and somehow kind of making excuses. I know for me, I was drinking a lot. I think a lot of a lot of us were. Uh, you just have Instacart delivered to your house because you can't go anywhere. I think alcohol sales went through the roof during COVID. So part of that is referenced in the line is everything swimming inside my skeleton okay? Am I taking care of myself, self-medicating? And then starting to think about you're talking to your friends and you're seeing them in Zoom chats and everyone's doing tequila shots on Friday night to kind of stay social. And I start to think about everybody and worrying about I worry a lot. <laughs> so worrying about ol- old friends and maybe maybe um, myself or my, my friends now. And so Jeff's in my head and COVID's in my head. And maybe that will make more sense now if you look at the lyrics. Because um, the second half, when I kind of want to talk it over, that's a reference to Jeff. But then why I'm locking all the windows is a reference to COVID. Uh, just being, like, locked inside. So they're two completely different things, but they emotionally feel the same to me. So I, I'm pulling from that. So I the offer. I this I'm looking...
1: In addition, a lingering and familiar concern. Is this song good enough for other people to hear? Am I ready for criticism? Does this have a future with the band?
0: What well, what is crazy to me is when the first idea of a song pops up, there's always, for me, a lot of doubt. Is this good enough? Does this sound like something else? Is this even worth showing people? And then getting past that to being excited about it, that you want to invest your time into it, then it becomes the fear of okay, it's finished. If I show people, then I have to deal with whether or not they like it. If if they never hear it, then I'm safe. So part of me writing this one was not even thinking about, are we going to play this?
2: That's definitely something that I got from listening to the tune, was just you feel the connection of the lyrics and, and really nice, strong melodies from Brennan on this, too. I mean... The three sections are pretty disparate as far as like their overall how it makes you feel, um, you know, emotionally or whatever. I don't really, I, I don't know how they all do actually fit together, but like, I mean, obviously we have some related like key area stuff that's going on, but uh, somehow they do feel like they're kind of they're kind of meant for each other. And I, I also, you know, really love the surprise after the. You know, the the long ongoing bridge section where you kind of feel like, oh, is this this gonna be it? We're we're never going back. And then right at the last second we, we go back to the uh to the chorus one more time with that uh that kind of nice F sharp major.
0: Here's one thing you forgot.
1: Now they shifted to building the song piece by piece while trying to
2: figure out how to differentiate it from their previous work. I think we also debated about, you know, should it go back to that? Should it go back to the first section? Um, Which we ultimately didn't do, you know, like it it could have definitely ended on that original riff too. You know, we could have done the chorus and then gone back to the instrumental, like the intro, you know, and to go back to what you're saying about how it feels kind of personal, that moment when everybody drops out except for Brennan's vocal. I think that's one thing that we've been trying to work on with our arrangements is like, what can we do more impactfully you know, using space and trying to find these places in songs where we can you know, use that a little more to our advantage?
0: It was more of, I just need to get this out because some of it I'm talking to myself, everybody you know, has problems, but couldn't this happen to somebody else? I feel like everybody can kind of relate to that. And then, will I wake up? Will this be over? And that's kind of, that's a reference to COVID. Is this just a bad dream? You know, maybe uh, maybe tomorrow I'll wake up and, man, I had the craziest dream. We just went through a global pandemic. Thank God that was just a dream. There's a lyric, uh, believing hangs the frame. It's funny because I'm trying to explain it to myself, but I'm thinking in that moment of the truth is in the eye of the beholder. So I'm going to frame this. Um, if I believe that I'm okay, maybe I can. I have an excuse to have another glass of wine, or I can do a shot because this is a temporary thing. So um, I think the line is kind of, that, to me, is referencing all of us. If if we can maybe lie to ourselves and believe it, that's the frame we're going to be looking through, and you can justify almost anything at that point. The meanings. Next changed but maybe that's just my timing slipping off the page believing hangs a frame and nobody's waiting in line with anything to say i wasn't even thinking this would be something that we'd be playing live i think if i was it would have affected the song in a negative way where right? i I think the end is very, I'm singing falsetto, I'm it's soft, and it's really, it's not happy, happy, joy, joy. Um, lyrically, it, it came pretty fast. Um, once I have the melody and I, I'm singing, it's almost, think of it as scatting, uh, like a, a jazz musician would do, except I'm not a jazz musician. And once I have the melody and I, I know that the, the end of the line would be is this vowel, like page, change, say. So then I have the end of the line and now I got to get the first third of it to match the, the end. A lot of that is around vowels because consonants are hard to sing. Well, the first time we really tried it, I think Chris started playing this this upbeat, almost... Stuart Copeland style pattern which my first reaction was I was it was jarring to me because I was so used to hearing my shitty drum loop that was and Chris came in with the message in the bottle my first reaction was okay he he this is becoming something different now
2: I love that whole feel. It's uh, something that's a little bit different that I don't think we've really had in an Umphreys original before. So that's always one of the, the big things for us is like, let's really try hard to not rewrite a song we've already done.
0: Now this is not mine anymore. This is, this is ours and he believes in it and he, he's pushing it this way. So it instantly became more powerful. So maybe it's easier for me to sing with more conviction because I feel as if there's more belief behind it. And it's not just me kinda full of doubt, wondering if this is good. If, if I've got a, a train behind me pushing it, it makes it easier to believe in it. So that first time that he kicked in with that beat and, and the bass drops, it, it, it is completely different to me. It's the same key, same tempo, whatever. And if they believe in it, then I sure shit should, should too.
1: For a band like Humphreys McGee, songs begin in isolation with one or two songwriters translating their immediate emotions into words on a page and a melody that may or may not hook. The process of bringing initial ideas to his bandmates and seeing what they add is as important as the initial point of creativity. As Bayliss explains, ownership over his creative output only extends as long as he's willing to hold a song back from feedback and input.
0: There is a, a feeling of, I don't know if it's ownership, but if you don't let go of that, it's not going to grow. So a song like I Don't Know What I Want, the original idea had the, the slow drum beat. Once I share it with the team and they all put their spin on it, it goes from an idea to a real song. They're kind of like your, your children. You're, you spend a lot of time with them, you cultivate them, and then you throw them out in the world and you hope that they don't <laughs> shit the bed. I mean, there's examples of, of bands with, there's a, there's this one guy and it's his, you know, his band. So whatever he brings to the table that you're going to do every single song. But mathematically, if you, for me, if I come up with 10 ideas, usually three of them are good. So if I were to force my bad ideas on everybody, I don't think it would benefit anybody. (laughs) But I do remember when tracking the demo and getting to the, there was an open section before the chorus, I guess, the end vocal. And I do remember thinking to myself, this could be a, a, a really good spot for Jake to take a five minute, like, glorious solo to build and then hit the vocal. That could be as long as one, two, three, four, five minutes, depending on how, how he's feeling.
1: Part of the appeal for a band like Humphreys McGee is their songs are never fully complete even when put to wax. For a band that's built a career on the road, discovering new possibilities for all their songs through improvisational interplay, there's always the unknown of where a song can go once it hits the stage. For a song as personal and relatable as I Don't Know What I Want, however, the band has found themselves a bit more protective about how to handle the song.
0: I'm not thi- I wasn't thinking open a second set with um, <laughs> with this song by any means. But I do remember in that moment of tracking it, thinking this could potentially be a spot where we open it up. But um, for me, it's more about get the idea and then once everyone gets their hands around it, we'll figure out what to do with it together or where would that would make sense. I wasn't thinking this is going to be a 20-minute jam. We'll see. Could be. Ryan was writing a set list the other day where he wanted to put a, a jam in it. And I, I said, can we just figure out how to play it live first? We still haven't gotten it completely right yet. Let's get it right and then we can play with it.
2: I think we used to think about stuff like that. Like, how, you know, how are we going to handle this? How are we going to play this live? And w- at some point, we kind of said, let's just not even worry about that. Let's try to make something that's cool on its own, standing for a studio piece of art. And... Just kind of treat it as that and then deal with the the reckoning of how are we gonna play this live later? <laughs> when we're recording something for the studio, we're just trying to get something that is like the best studio version of whatever it is that we're we're trying to come up with. And most of the time it'll be a little less long-winded than you know what we would do live. And, you know, there are also definitely conversations about like, okay, in the studio, we only did this for 16 bars, this can be 32 or what, you, you know, I mean, this is going to be an album for us where most of the songs, hopefully people are going to hear for the first time as the studio recordings. So you you also don't want to like, make it so different from that, that the people are, you know, people are like, oh, well, that's not how it sounded here. You know, you don't want to make it weird either.
1: Regardless of where I don't know what I want ends up in the band's live repertoire, the emotional catharsis associated with it, the connectivity it offers for listeners just coming back to live music following the COVID-19 pandemic, it's a powerful reminder of the simple importance of a song and the brotherhood built by Umphreys McGee in their 25-year career. As we'll explore in subsequent episodes, the experience of writing these songs in isolation and then recording them over the course of more than a year proved to be one of the greatest experiences they've had as a band. Reuniting during the summer and fall of 2020 to perform drive-in shows, webcasting from Jake Sinninger's studio, and constructing what would become Asking for a Friend, the band made the best of the uncertainty around them, pouring everything they had into their next album.
2: It's one of the most gratifying studio experiences I think we've had because we've been nurturing these songs the whole time while we haven't been able to play as much live, right? And in the end, it's, it's you know, it's 14 new original songs that no one's ever heard before. So there's a lot of pressure, too, just because the last thing you want to happen is put out an album of all-new material and the fans are like, this is garbage. <laughs> You're like oh my god, we have worked on this for two years. So, I think there was a huge focus to really, to really look at each of these songs individually as their own, uh, their own little things. You know, each one is kind of its own baby that you know you, you've given so much effort in life to. So, yeah, it's it's incredibly gratifying. You know, I, I hope that people
0: hear that they're not alone. Essentially, kind of, we're all going through this together, it's, it's all about this isolation that we are all experience at the same time. So are we really isolated? If we can all relate to this looking out a window, looking for a cure. So maybe I think I'm excited about the prospect of something that was personal that I wasn't even sure would be, you know, taken as a, a good enough idea to be something that people can sing along to. I can't express to you how gratifying it is, selfishly, to see people sing your lyrics. It, <laughs> it, there's, it's it's a really fantastic feeling, especially um, when it's a large group of people and you can hear them over the PA. Then the ownership becomes theirs, right? They're taking it. And I guess it does kind of have an emotional, cathartic release, I guess, if it's something that we can all relate to. I don't think of it as celebratory, but I guess if it's something that everyone can identify with. It's kind of maybe therapeutic.
1: On the next episode of Talking Circles, we'll dive into the next track on Asking for a Friend, Small Strides. Talking Circles is a production of Osiris Media and Humphreys McGee. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Written and produced by Brian Brinkman, RJB, and Kevin Browning. Art by Mark Dowd. All interviews and audio used with permission from Humphreys McGee. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Osiris.